all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I'm not in the studio this morning, so there'll be no phone calls, but you can always send me an email, fit at mpbonline.org. With me is Southern Remedy producer Kevin Farrell. Good morning, Josie. This morning on the show, we're going to be talking about high blood pressure and how to control it. So we'll jump right into things. Um... What exactly is high blood pressure? Well, and I think now's an important time to make sure that we understand there are two words we can use interchangeably, right? So the medical word is hypertension, and the more layperson term is high blood pressure, and we may bounce back and forth with those terms as we talk today. I find it funny, I was listening to... Um, A colleague present one time and she was talking about where the word, uh, why it's important that we explain what words mean when we're talking with patients. And if you break down the word hypertension, right, it sounds like you'd be extra stressed out, right? Like you've got a lot of tension. And so we want to make sure that folks understand what we're talking about. And we're just talking about your blood pressure. Now, what is high blood pressure in the like easiest sense, it is when the pressure inside your blood vessels is higher than we would like for it to be, right? So if you think about your blood vessels like roads, right? If you've ever seen a picture of a, of a body in a textbook or on a poster, there's usually red lines and blue lines running around in there. Uh, it's not really how they look on the inside of you, um, but... Usually, um, the red lines are arteries, and the arteries are where blood is moving from your heart all around your body to all the different areas. And the blue lines are your veins, which are bringing the blood back up to your heart. And that is both equally as important. We want to make sure the blood gets to where it needs to go, but then also back to the heart, because that's where we um, start to pick up oxygen and all the things that we need to have happen there. And just like most things in our body, we have a kind of set of parameters that is optimal for longevity and health and making sure that all the other systems of the body are able to work the way that they are supposed to. And so when the pressure inside those vessels or inside that roadway gets uh, too high, then we start to see the body have to compensate in other ways and it starts to do damage to some of the other systems. So is there any difference in tension or high or pressure between the arteries and the veins? Well, your 
arteries are always going to have initially high pressure, right? Because they, they have something squeezing and shooting blood out um, from that squeeze. The way veins work, because there's no heart in your feet that's going to squeeze and push bl- blood back up to your heart, that's where valves come in. So valves are uh, unique to veins, and they act like little doorways almost. So they swing open one way and swing back closed. And so... Um, they open up, blood goes through, they close, and that keeps the blood from pooling back in your feet. And then it just kind of marches its way back up your body. That's why sometimes as we get older, you may hear people say they've got bad veins or they've got um, vascular insufficiency, those types of things. And sometimes the vein, the uh, valves in the veins get too much pressure on them overall and they're not able to move that blood back up as well and we get swollen feet and swollen ankles and those types of things. So I've heard that uh, high blood pressure sometimes called a silent killer. Why is that? Well, this week I have had the opportunity to do uh, a lot of uh, work with folks in getting their teeth done for uh, Dental Missions Week uh, at UMC. And one of the things that I noticed was a lot of folks not understanding the role of blood pressure, because that was my job, to check everybody's blood pressure before um, before moving through. And blood pressure when it becomes too high, really doesn't have a whole lot of symptoms. Uh, And tool stuff starts to not work as well as it's supposed to. So just having high blood pressure, especially if it's a new issue for you, doesn't really cause a whole lot of symptoms. It's not like a cold where you're going to get a runny nose or a scratchy throat or any of those different kind of things. It is very silent. But it is doing damage, right? If we, again, think about the vessels like a road and all of the other organs in our bodies, let's say our eyes, our kidneys, our brain, um, if we think about those as almost like a wall, if we send too much pressure down the roadway and smack it into the wall, that wall is either going to break or the car is going to break, right? <laughs> or both, probably. And that's what happens with chronically elevated blood pressures is our organs kind of just get pounded over and over again. And then the symptoms we start to see are from damage to those organs. Maybe when you go to your healthcare provider and uh, just for regular labs, they'll say, oh, you've got a little bit of protein in your urine, It's not supposed to be there. And so that tells us something is uh, maybe a little wrong with the kidney. It could be blood sugar issue. It could be blood pressure issue. Uh, Maybe uh, the first time you realize that you have high blood pressure is when a cardiac event has happened. You've had a heart attack or you've had a stroke um, because it is so silent. And most folks that I worked with recently, they were like, but I feel fine when I would tell them their blood pressure is too high. And good that you feel fine right now. That means we've probably caught it early and we need to intervene now before things start to have irreparable damage to them. This is Southern Remedy, Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. It's a show that we're recording in advance because Josie is not in the studio this morning as this airs. Um, and uh, so just a reminder, if you ever have a question that you need answered, you can send it to fit at mpbonline.org. We're talking today about high blood pressure, hypertension, uh, what it is and ways to control it. So who gets high blood pressure? Well, anybody that has blood vessels has the potential to get get high blood pressure. Uh, So it, you know, it does not necessarily uh, matter. Uh, Anybody can get high blood pressure when 
the right circumstances occur. So uh, we see high blood pressure in all ages. Um, usually high blood pressure in children, really little children, you know, infants uh, in the um, school age range, maybe from a kidney issue. So it's the kidney issue that, that caused the high blood pressure or some other kind of congenital issue that is causing it. Um, where we see it more in adults is when there is um, either a structural issue with the kidney that is causing some issue or um, a, a combination of a genetic kind of predisposition for these things and then our lifestyle factors uh, uh, entered in there as well. Um, so genetics does play a role. Oh, absolutely. You know, Almost everything has some type of genetic component to it. Now, whether that is I can point to a specific gene and say it's this gene, not talking about that, but inherited family um, tendencies. And what's really interesting when we start to look at those things is, is it a gene that's doing it or is it that families have similar behaviors to each other? And the way you were raised to eat is the way the whole family was raised to eat. Uh, But there does seem to be some genetic uh, component to all of these things. But what I tell uh, patients is just because mama had high blood pressure and daddy had high blood pressure and grandmama did, that doesn't mean you're absolutely going to get it or that we don't want to decrease your risk uh, of acquiring it. Um, Because just because they had it does not mean that's the the journey that you're going to have. So you mentioned that anybody can get it. Are there specific populations or demographics where it's more likely to get high blood pressure? Well, that really takes us into the discussion of healthcare disparities, right? And that there are uh, populations of people that can be affected by a multitude of different medical conditions in a disproportionate um, amount versus another uh, uh, racial or ethnic category of folks. When we're thinking about high blood pressure, um, African-Americans tend to get diagnosed or tend to I won't use the word diagnosis, tend to uh, have high blood pressure at a younger age and tend to have a greater amount of healthcare disparity around that as well. Um, but every race and ethnicity can be impacted by high blood pressure. So I try to make sure that we're screening people um, across age groups, across genders, across um, racial and, and ethnic groups to make sure that we pick up on thing, these things as early as we can. All right. So we talked about uh, genetics playing a role. But as you also mentioned, uh, our lifestyle choices certainly play a role and impact our blood pressure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, usually when I ask people, what could you change to help your blood pressure? Most folks are going to say salt. And that means that we're doing our job as public health care providers in talking and getting the message out that sodium or salt plays a role in uh, high blood pressure. And that is, is true. But it's not we can't hang it all on on salt. Right. There are multiple other areas of our lifestyle that can also impact that. Um, potassium is kind of the counterpoint to that. So whereas we want to decrease the salt or sodium in our diet, we want to increase potassium in our diet. And you may go, well, I don't know what that means, right? And I don't know how to read that on a label. That's okay. Your potassium-rich foods are your fruits and vegetables. Um, And the beauty of a fruit or a vegetable is that they're also low in sodium and fat-free for the most part. There are a few fattier um, uh, items like an avocado, that kind of stuff. 
but they're usually relatively low in calories and high in potassium and low in sodium. So they make a perfect addition. We can't all hang it on diet, though. There are um, physical activity is really important. That helps the roadways stay healthy. If we're still thinking about those vessels as roadways, it helps them stay flexible and be able to expand and contract um, easily, uh, as well as sleep. And if you're a regular listener, you know sleep is my favorite, but it absolutely is crucial for helping with high blood pressure. If we do not sleep well, then our heart never truly gets to relax as much as it needs to. Of course, our heart never stops, but it does get to not have to work quite so hard. And that happens during uh, during certain stages of sleep. So all of those pieces of lifestyle really play a role in managing high blood pressure. And I think I'll take just a brief minute out here to a quick shout out to fruits and vegetables because uh, <laughs> they, the they, real MVPs. Well, and, and when you give them a chance, I think most of them uh, taste pretty good, too. Yep, so. yep, they do. Since I'm not in the studio this morning, Southern Remedy producer Kevin Farrell is with me for this pre-recorded show. Good morning. Josie and I are talking today about hypertension or high blood pressure. So let's uh, jump right back into things. So uh, before the break, we were talking about how lifestyle choices uh, can impact blood pressure. What about something like stress? Does that play a role? Absolutely. And we tend to think about it more in terms of situational, right? If we're anxious, we may kind of have temporary elevations in our blood pressure. But if we're dealing with chronic anxiety and stress, we're kind of always in that heightened state uh, of uh, anxiety, and that is putting extra strain on our heart, as well as increasing our desire maybe to eat foods we wouldn't normally choose and those types of things. So it's not simply just the stress causing the high blood pressure. It's how chronic stress impacts our desire to go and exercise or our the food choices that we make, because when you're really stressed... A cookie may be just exactly what your brain decides it needs right there because it makes you feel better for just a second. Uh, or it may be, you know, chips and cheese dip. You know, if you're, some folks are salty, some folks are sweet. Uh, or that stress may keep you from falling asleep at night. And now we are having, you know, poor sleep function, which we've talked about. So absolutely, it is one of the most foundational things that we need to be looking at when we're trying to address blood pressure. And so I say that for patients, but also, you know, any other healthcare providers that are listening when we're working with folks with high blood pressure who are wanting to uh, try non-medicated ways or come off of some of their medications, we want to make sure that we're addressing all of those kind of underlying behavioral issues that are keeping the medicine from working as well as it can, or maybe even that we can back off of some of those medications. A bit of a tangent here, but while we're talking with it, do you have some ways where if someone is feeling overly stressful, some things to help them de-stress? Yeah, it's like you were in clinic with me today because we, <laughs> we did a whole lot of this today. Um, but, and it depends on what our particular issue is, you know, if we're dealing with um, stress from being overworked and those types of things. It may be looking at how we make lists for prioritizing things as to what has to get done today, what has to get done tomorrow for the week, those types of things. Uh, if we're talking about stress from financial situations, which is very common, then what are the social um, programs and resources that we can connect people to to help lessen that? If we've got 
anxiety or panic disorder or any of these types of things. We just can't get the the worry to shut off, then we want to give our brain something else to do because it is a champion at worrying and it can go from something that is not an issue to the worst thing ever in the world can happen when we worry like that. And so one of my favorite things to give my brain to do is like a, like a find exam, like a um, puzzle almost. Uh, so like, what can I see right now? What are five or six things I can see in this room, right? I see your shirt. I see the blue handles of this uh, pair of scissors. I see a Kleenex box, right? I see the little lines jumping up on the monitor that show my voice, and I can see the clock. It doesn't matter what I find or what I see, but I gave my brain something else to focus on than the what if, what if, what if. And that's a, a whole exercise called Five Senses Exercise, and so you step it down. Five things I can uh, see, four things I can touch, three things I can hear, two things I can smell, one thing I can taste. And at the end, again, it doesn't matter what you found or heard, it just gave your brain some other direction to go in. Uh, one of my other favorite things to do is abdominal deep breathing. When we, if I told you right now, take a deep breath, Kevin, I guarantee you when you took a deep breath, you would do it with your chest muscles, right? And so we breathe kind of in two different ways. The kind of effortless, effortless breathe, that our breath that we're doing now is largely not under any kind of control that we have. I'm not telling myself to breathe. It's just happening. Uh, if I needed more oxygen because I am in danger, Right Then the little muscles between my ribs are what I'm going to use to make my chest bigger so that I can suck in more air and run away from whatever the danger is. So when we take a big, deep breath and we use those chest muscles, that's an energizing breath. That's why sometimes it feels good to do that. Maybe when you've been at the computer or you're in a meeting that could have been an email, all of those kinds of things. You take that nice, big old breath and it kind of wakes you up a little bit. If we're trying to de-stress... That's not really what we're going for. I don't want to tell my brain I need more energy for something. Uh, so breathing from your belly or using that diaphragm muscle to breathe is a relaxing type of breath. So I usually get people to put one hand on their chest, one hand on their belly, take a breath and see where you're breathing from. And if you're, the hand that's sitting on your chest rises more than the one on your belly, then you're, you're chest breathing. And the next time you do it, I want you to intentionally focus on making the hand on your belly go up and practicing that for five minutes every day so that when you feel your worry creeping up or your stress creeping up, you can flip to that type of breathing, which really just sends a signal to your brain that says, hey, girl, it's going to be all right. Like there's nothing you need to run from right now. It is safe. Uh, just another personal aside, you know, you've talked about that on the show a lot. And so I find a lot of times when I wake up in the morning and can't quite get back to sleep is when my mind begins mm -hmm. to spiral out of control. And I've tried that. And to me, the most relaxing part is the letting go of the uh -huh. breath. It really just it's the feeling is hard to describe, but it just is very relaxing. And that helps me kind of, you know, again, 
not to worry about too much because then, it's, as you were saying before, then you're beginning more to be to uh, concentrate on the breathing yes. than the stuff you that you're inventing. You gave your brain something else to do, right? It gave it a little homework assignment. So not <laughs> only did it help from a physiology standpoint in thinking about how our brain perceives the type of breath we're doing, it literally just gave the brain a task to focus on, making sure that we're breathing a certain way. And when it's off doing that, it is less likely to fall down the rabbit hole of worry. All right. We mentioned a little bit, too, about how diet plays a role in uh, high blood pressure. And we talked about the benefit of fruits and vegetables. And one other thing I'm going to guess, based on having worked with you for several years on the show, <laughs> uh, if you if you want to stay away from processed foods. Oh, yes. Well, in particular, ultra-processed foods, right? So... And when I say stay away from these things, I am not in any way putting them in a category of vilified foods that you can't enjoy or you can't, um, you know, use in your daily life if that is what you can afford and what you have access to, right? We've got to be, we've got to be fed. But when we're trying to control high blood pressure, we want to choose the least process that we can afford, right? So salt or sodium, which we talked about um, as one of the main drivers of high blood pressure, is largely in ultra-processed foods. We tend to think of it as the salt shaker, and only about 15% or so of our um, dietary sodium that we take in comes from what we use while we're cooking or what we salt at the table. It comes from our seasoning packets that we start with or our stocks or lunch meat, um, certain types of uh, bakery items, uh, pizza crusts, cheese. Um, all of those things are where the bulk of that sodium is. So again, budgeting your sodium within your financial budget as well is important. One thing I tell folks is if all you can afford is a canned vegetable, don't let anybody tell you that that's not okay, right? Like any vegetable is going to be better than french fries, right? We have to go, what is the alternative if I don't choose this? And there are things that we can do. Obviously, if you're able to choose the no salt added or low salt option on those things. If you're not or you're shopping at, you know, a, a convenience store or a dollar store and they don't have that option, get what you know your family will eat and drain and rinse it. Right. You're going to take out about a quarter of the salt that way. So not perfect, but better than nothing. Um, if you have access to frozen foods, they are uh, not frozen like uh TV dinners, because those often have a lot of, of sodium in them, but frozen spinach or frozen green beans, those usually don't have any sodium added to them unless they're tossing a sauce or something like that. Um, where I do spend a little bit more monetary budget is on a lower sodium soup or a lower sodium um, veggie stock or something like that because you cannot drain a soup and rinse it. If you drain your soup, you absolutely wasted your money because you poured it <laughs> down the sink. <laughs> but that's uh, so you said 15% of uh, just by yeah, rinsing. Yeah, so that's... about 75. Oh, you're talking about uh, sodium uh, from the can, about a quarter yeah. of um, the sodium. The last uh, study I read said, I think, 24% of the sodium was removed through draining and rinsing. So that's pretty doggone good. 
Yeah, I like the uh, the steamer bags. I found to be really good. And then uh, the, and the, some some of the frozen ones. But I, I know the grocery store where I go to now has the the fresh vegetable in the package. And again, you just pop it in the microwave mm-hmm. for three or four minutes, and then you've got some great uh, broccoli that way. And I've actually have learned how to uh, enjoy asparagus by eating it that way. Oh so. my goodness! Look at you. <laughs> just about a minute left. A quick answer here. And we might could uh, talk a little bit more of this on the other side of the break, mm-hmm. but high blood pressure, hypertension is not a quote unquote adult disease. Oh, absolutely not. Um, you know, we as we start to see the diet and the physical activity of children kind of not be as great as we would like for it to be. Our, our kids tend to be a little bit more sedentary and choose um, more processed or ultra-processed foods. We do start to see kids um, having higher blood pressures um, than we would like for them to be. So that's why you'll uh, see your pediatricians start to check blood pressures once we hit, you know, kind of adolescence. We start to check the blood pressures of, of those kiddos and sometimes even younger than that. So we want to, again, find things as soon as we can so that we can intervene in those. This is a pre-recorded show with no phone calls, but you can always email the show at fit at mpbonline.org. With me is Southern Remedy producer Kevin Farrell. Good morning, Josie. We are talking today about hypertension, what it is and how to control it. Let's jump right back into things. Uh, Earlier in the show, you mentioned that uh, we call it the silent killer Mm -hmm. because certainly at first there aren't a lot of symptoms. But I think that you mentioned sort of as it progresses, there might be some some symptoms or some things showing up that would indicate it. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So I mentioned before you may start to spill a little bit of protein in your urine. So our our kidneys uh, are very intimately linked with our cardiovascular system right? because what the kidneys do is filter the blood, right? They filter it out and send stuff that we need to hang on to back into the bloodstream and then send things that we don't necessarily need and extra water and all of those things into um, the filtrate that we then pee out. And one of the things that shouldn't make it through that that gate, so to speak, if we want to think of it that way, is protein. Protein is, is too big to make it through the, the filter of the kidney. So when we see protein in the urine, uh, it means something has damaged uh, that kidney and allowed it to, to get through. Now, that can be infections. Um, certain infections can do that. It can be uh, longstanding uh, uncontrolled uh, blood sugar can, can do that or just having had diabetes for a long time. Um, but certainly increased pressure against the kidney from high blood pressure can do that. And so sometimes we see that just on a regular urinalysis that you're you're giving for some reason. A lot of people attribute headaches with high blood pressure. They'll be like, well, I checked my blood pressure because I had a headache. Probably not the reason that you had the headache. Usually we're going to have to have fairly elevated blood pressure in a relatively quicker time frame for that to be the cause of this specific headache. Um, but they certainly, it's it's correct to do that, you know, to, to check your, your blood pressure at that point in time. The other things that I always ask folks when I uh, find a high blood pressure that we didn't know about before, I'm always looking for danger signs, right? Do you have any chest pain, any shortness of breath, any blurry vision or double vision, that kind of thing? Again, increased pressure in your head can give you that headache and can can press on the nerves in your eye and those kinds of things. Um, but 
by and large, until we start to see what we call end organ damage, there are not any just like, oh, that's he's going to have high blood pressure. You know, when he come when you come in and tell me a symptom, whereas, you know, in 2020, if you came in and said, hey, I can't smell anything, I'm like, you have COVID. You know, it was a, a very unique symptom for that. The the symptoms of high blood pressure are quite vague. So especially under stressful situation, can we ever sort of feel like our high, sometimes you kind of almost feel, feel like your like heart's, your yeah, you, you feel like you're, uh, you get flushed feeling sometimes. And that is usually from, um, I'm going to use a big word, vasodilation, right, which means those vessels get bigger. And again, that's sending more blood to certain areas when it does that. And that's all part of that uh, fight or flight response, that running away from the bear type situation things. Uh, but that can happen. And then there are certain uh, times where our blood volume can increase. Pregnancy is a, a good example of that. When we are pregnant, we wind up having a whole lot more cars on the road of our our blood vessels because we have an increased amount of fluid in our uh, blood vessels. The same can happen when we have um, kidneys that are a little sick, right? If we can't filter and excrete out the extra fluid, it stays on board in the blood vessels. And so you will kind of just have more vascular congestion so more stuff backed up in the in the blood vessels there and that's when we start to see some of the swelling um, in the feet or even some shortness of breath because that fluid eventually backs up into uh, our pulmonary um, side of things so let me circle back for a minute before earlier we were talking about um, that high blood pressure can affect anybody at any age mm-hmm. is there any kind of special concern when it's in younger people well we usually want to look for what we call a call a secondary cause right so when we think of hypertension there are uh, what used to be called essential hypertension now a lot of times it's called primary hypertension meaning there's no structural issue that is or other medical condition that is causing the high blood pressure, whereas secondary hypertension means something else is going on, like maybe the kidneys are broken or not functioning like they should, and that is causing the, the high blood pressure. So when we see um, high blood pressure in someone without family history that is uh, not overweight or obese, who doesn't... Um, have any you know their nutrition is is pretty uh, good they're physically active that don't have the risk factors that we would normally see for high blood pressure and you want to go what what's going on why do we have high blood pressure and take a little bit deeper look sometimes there are problems with the the big arteries that go to the kidneys uh, and so we'll actually get an ultrasound of that particular area in younger folks who have high blood pressure like that to look and see and then there are uh, some really uh, some really gnarly rarer things that can make some of our um, stress chemicals be higher uh, and so we have to measure those things in the urine to see if those uh, stress um, markers are higher and that can cause it there's actually um, uh, something called a pheochromocytoma that one rolls right off the tongue but it's actually almost a, a little tumor that secretes out those um, adrenaline hormones that we were talking about and that can make blood pressure um, be higher in someone who does not fit the clinical picture of having high blood pressure at all. This is Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. Producer Kevin Farrell here with Josie today. Josie is out of the studio, so this is actually a program that we're recording in advance. And today we're talking about high blood pressure, hypertension, uh, what it is and ways to uh, treat it and control it. So uh, when someone tells you what your, high, what your blood pressure is, it's usually one number 
over another. Mm -hmm. So uh, first, tell us what the two numbers mean. Right. So usually that top number, you may hear it called systolic blood pressure. And then the bottom number is referred to as diastolic blood pressure. And essentially... What we're looking at is the pressure inside the vessels, inside the, the roadway. And that top number is the pressure inside when the heart is squeezing and sending the blood out. That's why it's higher, right? The one on the bottom is the pressure inside those vessels when in, in between, right? So the heart beats and then there's a slight little pause and then it beats again. It's that uh, pressure in that, that relaxation phase. Because if you think about it, there's always going to be pressure inside the blood vessels or the blood vessel would collapse completely. So that's why it's not 120 over zero. It's 120 over a number. There's always pressure in the vessel. Um, it's just going to be lower. So when I'm looking at those, I don't want people to forget about that bottom number because I see that happen a lot. They'll be like, oh, the top number's not that bad. I'm fine. The bottom number is very, very, very important as well because if your heart is not getting to have that little bit of relaxation, the vessel is not getting to relax a little bit, and that's going to make the vessel get um, stiffer over time. And a stiffer vessel is not what we want because it's like a road that needs to be four lane, but it's, uh, oh, today my road was down to one lane when it's not supposed to be. And it took me twice as long to get to work because of that, that situation. And that's essentially what it's like. We're still trying to send everybody to work down a narrowed roadway. So then what was, uh, tell us what a healthy blood pressure, and well, let me ask it way this first. I, I'm, I'm guessing it's not this exact number, but there is a range. Well, for normal, it is lower than 120 on the top We nor- and then lower than 80 on the bottom. We throw around the number 120 over 80 a lot and you'll say a normal blood pressure is 120 over 80. It's actually a normal blood pressure is lower than 120 or lower than 80, right? So both of those things matter. You could have a, a, a 119 on the top, and if you had a 90 on the bottom, that, that wouldn't fall in the normal um, class of things. But so textbook normal, less than 120 and less than 80 on there. Now you get into uh, the, the kind of pre-hypertensive range. It's not even really called pre-hypertension anymore. We call it um, more elevated blood pressure. But that's that 120 um, up to 129-ish range. We start to look and go, this is a little bit higher than I would like to see things going on, um, as well as on the bottom, that kind of 80 to 89 range. And then we go up from there. Once we uh, you know kind of get over 89 and get into 90, we start to be a little bit more concerned about that bottom number. Um, And so the numbers that I'm kind of putting out now, that is if you don't already have high blood pressure, right? Like if I'm just um, screening you or, or, or looking for the presence, if you already have high blood pressure, your goal may depend on a multitude of other things. So that's usually going to be set between you and your primary care provider or your specialist, um, depending on um, a host of other things. Like if you're older and maybe you're at a risk for falls, I may not set a super low 
almost back down to normal blood pressure goal for you because I could give you enough medication to get you there, but I don't want you to have what we call orthostatic hypotension and stand up and get dizzy and fall and break something, right? So treatment goals may be a little bit more individualized, although most people can agree that around 130 over 80 is where um, if we have high blood pressure, we want to be treating at least to that number. So are there some things that normally would cause our blood pressure to increase slightly? I'm thinking maybe like physical exertion. Oh, absolutely. Um, And that's actually a normal response to physical activity. And our... uh, my exercise physiologist in clinic is going to check that. And if he's got you on the bike and going, like he's going to monitor those things because we do want to see an increase in that. If your blood pressure goes down while you're while you are exercising, that may point to something else entirely. Heart rate is also going to go up at, at that particular point in time. Um, if we uh, cross our legs, which my legs are crossed right now, that actually increases the resistance. Remember we talked about um, that your arteries are pushing blood away from the heart and out to the body. If I uh, put a kink in the system, it's going to raise things. And so just crossing our legs can make our blood pressure be higher. Since I'm not in the studio this morning, Southern Remedy producer Kevin Farrell is with me for this pre-recorded show. Good morning, Josie. I think we've got time for a few more questions about high blood pressure on this final uh, segment. So we've mentioned a little bit about this, but kind of remind us of some of the health problems that are associated with high blood pressure. Well, we have to think about what are the problems that are solely linked to just the increased pressure and then what are the friends that it brings along right so if we think about just um, the pressure that's being applied to the roadway and to the organs then you know damage to the back of the eye can happen leading to blindness damage to the kidney which we already talked about um, damage to the little blood vessels in our uh, feet can can happen um, we also start to see, Um, more trouble with um, the blood pooling in our lower extremities, those types of things. But then we have to think about what the best friends of high blood pressure are, so to speak. And we can link those in what we call cardiometabolic, right? So the risk factors for high blood pressure are also risk factors for high cholesterol and risk factors for diabetes. And so that's why I am so passionate about making sure that, yes, we use medications because they are vitally important, but that we also address that lifestyle piece. Because if we just have high blood pressure and we put you on medication for high blood pressure and we get those numbers down, that's fantastic, right? We're protecting the roadways. We're protecting the organs. But if we didn't change some of the lifestyle issues that led to the development of the high blood pressure and we're still eating, you know, ultra processed foods and not being physically active and not sleeping well, then we may find ourselves with diabetes or high cholesterol or all three of those particular issues. And that just further increases that risk for a heart attack or for a stroke. But I, I think I'm correct in saying that in, in terms of medication, there are a number of different medications that I, I think fairly successful at helping us control our blood pressure. Oh, absolutely. There are phenomenal medications out there. They range from you know using a diuretic, which is going to help pull extra fluid out, so less cars on the road, so to speak, there. And then there are going to be medications who work on um, how... Um, our blood vessels relax, so kind of opening up the roadway a little bit. And then there are some that are going to work more at the level of how much um, 
electrolytes we maintain, how much fluid we put out, and uh, some some much more um, scientific words that probably we don't want to get into in the last segment of the show. But there are multiple classes of medications. You've got the diuretics, like I mentioned. You've got beta blockers, ACE inhibitors, ARBs, calcium channel blockers, so tons. So if you don't tolerate one, don't just say, well, I couldn't take that blood pressure medicine. Uh, there are others that we can absolutely try. And if you're really against being on blood pressure medication, talk with your healthcare provider about that and talk about is there the option that I might be able to decrease this or come off of this in the future and we can work towards that goal but taking the medication in the short term to keep our roadways healthy and our organs healthy so that then um, as we make improvements in our lifestyle, we may can come off. But if you never come off, that's okay too, right? It's all about the end goal, which is health. Well, now, this is right up your alley because this is your area of expertise. But if we let's talk a little bit about lifestyle modifications and, and how do you go about working with a, with a patient to kind of success in that area? Well, the first thing I ask is, what do you want for yourself, right? Is it that you just want blood pressure control or you want to lose some weight or you want to be off medications, those types of things? And then it's my job to listen to what you want and listen to what you feel like is keeping you from getting there and help you build a plan for that. And every single person's is going to look different, right? If you hate fruit and vegetables, I'm probably going to wear you down over time. But at least on our first meeting, I'm not going to um, beat you with an asparagus. We're going we're going we're going to ease into that. Um, you know, maybe it's you really want to start a walking um, plan or you want to start swimming or biking or playing tennis or any of these kinds of things. Or maybe you're very tired and you realize that you're not sleeping well and you want to work on that. So it's very much individualized on what you feel like you can can and will do because all of those things matter. You know, if you don't feel like you can make nutrition changes, that's okay. We'll work on something else right now. Um, but I think I would think maybe an incentive, especially with this, is you said that um, if you do maybe do the lifestyle modifications, it, it can eventually lead to pay, either reducing the medication you take or or eliminating it. So that must be it, yeah. real, real an incentive. It is, and I, it is. And but I always do want to give realistic expectations and also not make you feel bad if you still need medicine. Like there's nothing wrong with you, um, nothing wrong with your willpower or, you know, I don't think that you cheated on your, your your lifestyle changes if we don't get there. It may be that you had high blood pressure for so long that the vessels just went ahead and stiffened up a little bit more than, than we can relax out with some of our lifestyle modifications. Um, but we get to take people off of medicines in clinic all the time, which is wonderful. It's one of the, the happiest things. We have a button to ring um, that uh, it plays me singing a song, which I'm not sure people think is a reward, but <laughs> I had fun while I was doing it. And so how important when someone is working on lifestyle modifications like this is their support system? Oh, well, any type of lifestyle change for any medical condition goes better if you have a support person. Uh, in particular, if you live with someone, having that person be on your side is really important because what I hear from a lot of people is, well, I, 
I would eat that way, but my significant other will not, right? Or I'd have to make two meals to be able to do that. And it's hard enough to get one meal on the table, much less trying to cook two. And so really having a frank conversation with um, that that significant other, that partner, about what your goals are as a family, really, because it's usually going to be health and most people want to see their partners succeed. Uh, And so uh, getting them on board to not hold you accountable, but just walk the journey with you is important. Let's uh, wrap up here in the last couple of minutes, talking a little bit about monitoring blood pressure. And so uh, in the last segment, you mentioned crossing your legs can affect (laughs) your blood pressure. So when you're in your healthcare provider's office, what are some things to think about when the blood pressure cuff comes on and they're trying to measure your blood pressure? Well, the first thing is be quiet. Right. Talking also causes little micro jumps in blood pressure. So it can it's awkward. Right. The nurse is in there. They have put the cuff on you. They're standing there looking at you. It is human nature to try to fill the silence with small talk. This is not a time that you need to do that. And the nurse is aware she didn't she or he doesn't want you talking uh, then either. So um, no talking. If you just if you were late for your appointment and you just like sprinted into the clinic, We don't need to let you sit a minute because that also is going to cause um, it to raise. If you've had um, caffeine in the 15 minutes beforehand, that'll cause a little bit of a bump in it. If you've been smoking um, right before coming in, that can cause um, an elevation in it. Uh, And then, again, crossing your legs. The other thing is dependent on the person checking your blood pressure. Your healthcare provider, your nurse, medical assistant, whatever, should choose the correct size blood pressure cuff. They come in a variety of sizes, all the way down to the teeny tiniest little one for our infants. Uh, And then we have large adult cuffs and even bigger cuffs than that because we want it to fit correctly around your arm. If I use too small of a cuff, it's going to make your blood pressure look higher than it really is. And I don't want your healthcare provider treating a falsely elevated pressure. The flip of that is if I use too big of a cuff, it makes your blood pressure look lower than it actually is. And then the position of your arm. So if you um, stick your arm up in the air, you're not going to get a normal reading. If you drop your arm down by the side, by your side, you're not going to get a a normal reading. So we like to say heart level, which usually is where the table is. So if you rest your arm on the, the table or on the little ledge of the blood pressure machine, that's usually around Um, heart level there. Some other things that can help is sitting in a chair that has a back on it so that you can relax your body into it and relax those muscles and keeping your feet flat on the floor. All of those things matter. Now, I suffer a little bit from white coat hypertension, which is sort of the nervousness about having your blood pressure taken. And just from listening today, I'm thinking that maybe if that's the case next time, that deep breathing might certainly help it out. It does. Again. And I did that so much with folks uh, recently trying to get those pressures down so they could get dental work done. But um, it, it absolutely is there. And my favorite thing to say is, well, do I have a white coat on, friend? <laughs> uh, I do not. And you guys can't see me, but I very rarely wear a white coat. Uh, but I know that it is very real. And that's one of the reasons why checking at home can be really important, because then I can see your trend when you're not in the doctor's office. And uh, Dr. Jimmy, 
who hosts uh, Southern Remedy on Wednesdays, uh, it suggested to me that when you're doing the home check, to actually take your blood pressure a couple of times in a row and then take an average to get the best reading to share with your health care provider. Exactly. I do recommend waiting about a minute in between those readings if you're using the same arm. That way it just doesn't get irritated at you from doing all those things. That's going to wrap us up. Thanks for listening to the show this morning. For Josie Bidwell, I'm Kevin Farrell. Remember that you can email the show at any time. It's fit at mpbonline.org. We're on the air every Monday at 11 with Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.